The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joll and the Art of War Coaches. Hiya folks, welcome to The Art of War. This is the podcast that is going to help you get better at the game of 40k by showing you how to build a list, showing you how to play that list, showing you how to do all of these things into other armies, whether you play the game with the list that we're talking about today or not. Maybe you play against it on a regular basis. You're just going to get better at understanding how it all works. This is the mission of The Art of War coaches, the mission of the team at the Competitive 40k Network. So, In this episode, let me introduce, first of all, uh, my co-host for today, who is not John Lennon, Nick Nunavati. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really, really well. I know that everybody's gearing up in your part of the world for the LVO this coming weekend, which is one of the reasons John's not available. (laughs) I'm sure he's kind (laughs) of, he's panic painting and practicing with that list that he's put together uh, for the LVO. Interesting seeing Frontline um, release the top players, the big list of the top players and what they're taking and yeah, seeing a lot of Prussia Stampede. There's some there's some custodies, John and Jack and a bunch of others taking custodies. Um, how are people feeling? How are people in the Art of Warhouse feeling heading off to LVO? I, I think everyone's feeling really good. Um, obviously, no one sets out and says, I'm going to win LVO 100%, but everyone's pretty confident. Everyone thinks they have taken the best shot they can give themselves, and they have confidence in themselves. We list everything, and no one's in a list spiral, so that's really good. No one's in a I suck at this game spiral, so that's really good. I'm yeah. feeling good about this. <laughs> yeah, just just one very notable guy who changed his mind with about 24 hours to go before lists were due, uh, named John <laughs> Lennon, who's now going to... <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? This so... is why I'm a commentator. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's introduce the guest and the army for this week. Uh, if you look at the data that we were just talking about, the lists, the armies, and the top players, you've got to go a long way down inside that top 20 to get to something other than Custodes, Crusher Stampede, Fast Ukari, or I'm forgetting something. Uh, oh, Thick City. So if you go all the way down inside that top 20, there's, there's one name that stands out because he's bringing what? Orcs. Uh, and his name is Mark Perry. Mark, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on and so forth. Well, thank you for being here and so forth. We've got to mention Liam Hackett, do a shout out to him because uh, he won. He just won the big Adelaide tournament with Orcs. Uh, I don't know if it was the same list as yours. We're about to find out. Uh, how are you feeling going into all of that Thick City? And I know episode two is where we'll cover specific matchups, but how are you feeling confidence-wise heading into Thick City and other Drukari and Custodes and Crusher Stampede and one list that has 171 racks in it with your Orcs? I feel very confident because I've played in these matchups. Thick City, Drukari, I know the rules inside and out for them. I know where the fails, where the failure points for them, and I can exploit those. Um, the early game pressure that I bring really tries to goes the miles when making them have hard decisions and mistakes and they don't have all their buffs up and so forth. Uh, Custodes been practicing and crushing a lot with John and Jack, figuring that match out up. Like my previous versions were not as strong in the Custodes. I had to make a lot of little tech changes and characters and we go with that with the talking about the list, right? And then yeah. Crusher Stampede, man, it's going to be a monster fight. Putting <laughs> around, destroying buildings. <laughs> right. Well, we'll get into we'll get into all the specifics of how you're going to approach the custodies in Thick City and Crusher Stampede and all of that uh, in part two. But for part one, why don't you take us through the list? What you've uh, settled on after lots and lots of different trials, and then we'll we'll kind of go through and and figure out what's there and why it's there and all of that. Actually, before we do that, I'm remiss. There's something that I should have mentioned right up the top here, which is. Uh, For folks who are new to this podcast, you may not know how this all works. We've done this in two parts. Part one is, as we mentioned, we're going to go through the list. We're going to talk about everything that's in it. And then in part two, when we break specifically down the matchups, we're going to talk about how Mark is going to play this list into all of those other top uh, lists that he's expecting to see at some of the top tables as he goes through the LVO. This is going to help you because you might play against uh, Orcs all the time. You might play Orcs all the time, you might be a person that's adopted Thick City or Crusher Stampede or Admech or one of the other many great lists that's out there. And so you're going to get a really great feel 
of the specific situations that will come up for you. The way it works is part one is free. Part one is just available to you. This is a free list building lesson that normally you would have to pay people for. Part two is only for subscribers. So if you're not yet a subscriber to The Art of War, please go over and do that. If you just go to theartofwar40k.com or if you check out The Art of War 40K on Facebook, all of the information is there. There are so many great resources. I cannot overstate the uh, brilliance of the resources available in terms of the podcasts that are there. If you get access to the war room, you can get access to personalized coaching and list building services. It is all there to help you become better at the game. And, uh, you know, I'm not just saying this for nothing. This is a service I subscribe to and a service I use, and it has helped me get better at the game as we've gone on. So go do it. Subscribe to theartofwar40k.com so that you can make sure you get the second part of this and every other episode of The Art of War. Right. Sorry, Mark. I had to do that. That's the official stuff done. Oh, Go for it. Give Steve, us your list. As your boss. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as, as the boss, I have to do that really well with Nick sitting right there. <laughs> I know. I've listened to a couple of them when it's just John and you. It's not like that. This See, is you good. don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah, it. I'm yeah. sitting right next this, to him. If he gives you, like, he gives you any problems, I'll just throw him out of the room. <laughs> God, this. You know what? This is like driving on the freeway with a cop right behind you, and you're just <laughs> making sure your mirror is in the right place, your seatbelt is on, you've got everything set up. So. <laughs> remember to put on the sticker on the stupid tag <laughs> <laughs> okay give us that orc list what do you got so the orc list is a all goths um the current version is a two detachment uh build with double patrol it used to be either like triple patrols or like two patrols auxiliary and the reason why my past list going forward now i went in more cp so i dropped one unit of truck war bo- a truck war boss and gained two cp back um uh, for how the list function, and that goes into the future of how you know matchups plays out. So we can talk about that in part two. So guys, anyone that's familiar with my list, it's no longer triple war boss. It is, but it isn't. Um, so we start off with the first patrol that has the beast boss with B-side mantle and big killer. Uh, he is he's a big monster beat stick. He is the main war boss that you need for Wa. He is the just kind of like universally, he's a good guy into lots of big beast, beat sticks. Monsters, more particularly. Sorry, brain fart, dumb. Um, we got one weird boy in there. He has the super cyborg body. He is there for support of spells. He's a decent little smacklin, but also he's really there for the psychic secondaries. Um, he adds a lot for that. Then we got two units of beast snaga boys. Then we got two units of hog boys about our freemans. Then we got two kill rigs. Um, and the last part of that unit in that detachment is a five-man mega knobs with scorches that are truck boys. Two trucks. Most important part. Little trucks. Um, the second patrol is boss sag truck, which is a flying war boss, practically without technically being a war boss. He doesn't have the war boss keyword. Um, he can go 21 inches hopping out of a truck with an auto advance of six. And he just—he's a very fast flying war boss. He's just there to you know touch you and have a good time. Like he just—he's fun. <laughs> uh, he's on a hug, and we're gonna—we're gonna go grab the hive guard. <laughs> Simple as that, guys. Anyone was keeping up with New Orleans. So we got one beast naga war or beast naga boy in there. Also, the second HQ of the attachment is a war boss on bike with brutal but cunning and killer claw. Uh, I used to kind of spread out the brutal but cunning and killer claw. Uh, in previous metas, but as the meta evolved, we got a lot more harder, like big tanky things and more, more fixed city. Got like a little bit more, a little bit more engine heavy, and also custodes and crusher stampede. So I wanted all those ones and one thing because I want to make sure if I want to hit those things, I'm confirming the kill. I'm oversaturating my damage to get past those extra defense stats and rules that they have. Um, so one beast second boy, four more. Mega knobs in there, better truck boys with scorches. We have four squeak hog boys, and uh, I believe that's it. That's everything my mind checking off. Yeah, that's your list. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I got I got some of the the basic questions before Nick kicks in with some of the uh, the big brain clever stuff. Uh, my basic questions <laughs> include why goffs? What does goffs give you that the other ones that we've heard about in in other people's lists don't give you? So. The mainstay with my list is the idea on a fundamental level is I am a hundred percent of my points support towards aggression. It's close combat. It's pressure. It's going to try to lock you down. 
How do I make each unit a little bit more dangerous? Is for Goffs. The Goffs rule is plus one strength on the charge um, and on the heroic, but also it is exploding sixes for the entire army. And that's super important. Yeah. Um, the exploding sixes makes all the units that are easy ways to get the hit on twos. Means they're getting like a hundred percent hit rates because you know I'm discarding the ones and the sixes are getting replaced with bonus hits. So like when you have like not you know you have ten beast snagger boy comes up and they're hitting against a monster or a war boss uh, is close by. And they're hitting on twos, so they're going to have thirty six attacks, probably thirty six hits because the ones and sixes are going to balance each other out with the explosions. Oh. Um, right. And that makes that efficiency for every single boy, every single mod in the army, so much more consistent, but also ex- like very, very high. It's you know what the number is going to be like. You can math it out at a point where you I'm coming in at like a beast snagger boy coming in at strength six, hitting on twos, exploding sixes, AP one. So it's very mathable. It's very believable when you charge up and what your damage is going to look like. And everything is a threat. It, includes that much higher because that plus one strength goes in a lot of places because like t6 you're seeing in the meta a lot of t5s and so forth yeah yeah the plus one strength seems like it'll be a big deal as well and as a space wolves player i can certainly appreciate exploding sixes man that, that sounds good it's a good time whirlwind of rage here it comes um uh talk me through the hq choices uh specifically things like brutal but cunning the killer claw uh the uh what am i trying to say here warlord traits and the relics that you've given each of your hqs and what they add to your list as well and how they stack up so the war boss on Warbreak with the kill claw brutal cutting um he's when the wall is called that terrorist turn he goes 20 inches and charges you so he has a lot of speed to kind of get into those noose little situations and positionings um he's there to make sure that that claw that combo is has the best way to deliver itself um that's not being a truck boy because I can't take another truck boy in it because I only have two attachments. But he's goth, so he's exploding sixes, and that's very important there. It's the it's that combo is just what well, I'm trying to say. Sometimes it's a little swinging, you go into four bin bones, but it's on a tougher bite body that is a bike, so he's T seven of seven wounds. And he can go clean up, do some small things here and there, pick up those, you know, kind of pseudo squads that I do not want to put. Uh, other units into and then he next turn he can just go 14 inches and go back to the front line or he can just go on to the big scary units if my opponent gives them to me right off the bat and just torpedo them turn one and try to trade up he's 115 points if he hits something that's way bigger than him but he can kill he'll absolutely go for it to try to simplify that board state um and definitely if i could take away opponents and like other counter assaults because if i can simplify the board state by removing my ability for my opponents to fight me in close combat I'm just going to dominate the fight phase even harder than I already do, and it can snowball out of control. He's very much like that precision nail for that type of idea. Um, The weird boy, the reason I gave him the cyborg body was mostly for, I wanted him to be not where he didn't just die the random sniper shots uh, over small characters in the late game, because he doesn't have an end on one save. He doesn't have any protection. Naturally, so putting that on a character that is T5 with five wounds that has damage and a four pinball now goes that extra distance of that 70 point character. I can do my secondary actions, I can fight some hot stuff, I can kind of bog down in the late game. Like, let's say he charges a character that he can take a turn from, another war boss can go deal with something while he bogs down the ever more important unit in these little tight close combats. Um, then let me try to think here the war boss with with. I'm trying to sit there and say the beast hide mantle gives them feel no pain. It gives them plus one attack. So extra spiking there. Um, it's just very solid because he has the big killer. So he gets plus two attacks if he's in range of a monster or vehicle. And then if he targets a monster or vehicle, he gets plus one the wound also. Um, he's just an all rounder. He's decent into everything. Uh, he's not as crazy as let's say maybe the war boss and war bike. He's not as quick as boss sag struck. Um, but he's the base war boss. He also gives that that plus one to hit aura for all character and core. So he as he he's he, he's your multi tool character. Uh, sometimes you take uh, the biggest and the best, which is a cool secondary with him. Which is you know if you have lots of hordes and your opponent's going to screen you out, you're just going to farm it for three points a turn by killing practically five models with him. Um, 
He's just an all-rounder character. We'll talk about your secondaries in a, yeah. <laughs> in a little bit. We'll find out more about how you're scoring points on that. Uh, interesting, you've got a weird boy in there. You don't um, have any issues with including a psyker and sort of doing yourself out of uh, other secondaries into specific matchups like Thousand Sons and so on. So the kill rates are also casters. So I already originally locked myself out of that position. Right. The weird boy was one of the new inclusions because I realized like I could take my secondaries and I had two that were super solid. But I was generally always taking the weird boy added me a consistent third that just added an extra level of consistency because I had a third secondary that I knew I could just always take. Um, and that's kind of the reason why he was in there because kill rakes and do it. Then the weird boy follows up. Right. Nice. So, uh, well, look, you've, you mentioned secondaries a couple of times. When you're, when you're putting this uh, army down on the table, what secondaries are you or have you built it around? What are you looking to get? So, Psychic Ritual is the one that we were just kind of pointing to about, like, kill rigs and the uh, Weird Boy doing behind the me lines. Um, and more often than not, stop them good, which is practically grind them down, but in combat. I get three okay. points at the end of the game turn. If I killed more in close combat than my opponent did, in close combat. And if I doubled them out and the number of I kills, and it's at least like two to one, I get four points instead of three points. Okay, well, that sound, that's the injury. Sounds like you is just perfect for, for this army. It's a bit like the Space Wolf one that guarantees me three points for making two charges, which exactly. is just kind of like, yeah, that's what I've designed this army to do. So that's what I'm going to do. So there's some points for me. Cool. Um, in fact, uh, I just what I love again. I don't want to keep coming back to. I'm a Space Wolves player, and I know you, Mike, you're super familiar with that army as well. But just having an army so focused on punching stuff and beating stuff up, and you know, winning games that way is kind of inspiring. Um, so when you're when you're uh, coming to the table and you're looking at the table, this will depend on terrain. But we always ask, uh, you know, this question and. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get a feel for is the way the army behaves on the table and the way you're approaching it. If you take us through from deployment, when you're kind of setting up, are you a super aggressive? Well, obviously, you're a super aggressive type of player. This is a super aggressive army. But how cagey and cautionary do you need to be with an army like this? If you're set setting up across the table from uh, an army with lots of guns or an army that can rush you, an army with lots of speed, there are lots of other you know, archetypes out there. Uh, do you like to set up on the on the front line or do you like to kind of be a bit more cautious um always is the rule and this is after you know fair amount of testing and going harder on the theory was i need to always deploy on the line orcs have the arguably like strongest like first two turns of the game when they really call that wall that early game pressure they can put up is insane oh uh, they can hit jacar before the power from pain is really up and going um they can put people into trade positions almost instantaneously and just applying uh that I'm trying to sit there and say, like, it's not just an aggro control list. It's also a very aggro lockdown list. You are controlling your opponent's actions through your aggression. Uh, and it's not like you're just scaring them and intimidating them versus like maybe like how Jack's Blood Angels do's or my world leaders. Like those type of styles aren't how this functions. This is a I am looking at you. I'm coming for you. And I am almost 2000 points of all close combat. And the thing is, I don't have, I don't even stay back and hold my own objectives because I'm losing resources by having those things back there versus this is something that can be pushed into your opponent, limit their primary, limit their secondary options, and just get the first returns of everything just goes in and out tempos my opponent. Um, you only need free turn for second ritual. If I get behind me lines for free turns, that's 12 points. And if, you know, I get it for a four, if I get some twos, the late turns, that's awesome. Um, the list is designed, and it always wants to be on that front line. Now, if I deploy some of it defensively, it's because I have player place terrain, and I'll make a castle in my deployment zone where I can deploy aggressively, but my terrain is set up to be defensive right at my deployment edge to make sure that I can drive up, making hard angles for my opponent to shoot at, making what they want to shoot me. They have to go off on a far flank. I have to spread their forces out, and I want them to spread their forces out. I want them to split apart. And I can really punish bad movements. Um, I can engage with two Meganov units, possibly a kill rig. Then you have Boss Zagstruck. You have the Bike War Boss. There's so much that will just engage you turn one. If I see someone, uh, you know, when we're setting up for the game and you tell me you've taken behind enemy lines and you've got that army, <laughs> then, then automatically I'm going, 
oh crap i really need to protect my backfield i need to screen things you know just make sure you can't get in here and get those points so you're kind of controlling the way the other person's approaching the game right up front with that as well exactly i'm offsetting their own mindset how they want to play the game so they're making decisions i'm more often than not forcing my opponents to take decisions that they've never even made or even thought about before so i'm opening up opportunities for them to make mistakes yeah look to be fair We've, we do this podcast a lot, and we talk to a lot of top players. You just don't see very many people, and even when I've been to tournaments, you don't see very many people coming at you with behind enemy lines. That's kind of a real confident play, and it's it's just not something you see very often. So it, I, I guess there must be an element of people looking at you going, huh, well, we don't get that a lot. How are we going to approach this now? Yep, and they see that in behind enemy lines, and they think maybe he'll hold some stuff back, or maybe... I, I, you know, he does, maybe he'll slow down after I do enough damage and he'll turn back. I can't. The army is 100% going in. All the, ca- all the casualties on the way in, that's fine. They were there for fodder. I don't know who it is. Roll a D6. So one of those units can nuke or more. <laughs> right, right. So uh, now, Nick, I feel like I'm just, uh, I'm, ask- I'm asking all the questions here. You, you must have some stuff you need to uh, go through with Mark with this list of his. Well, I think you've been doing a great job, Steve, but I do have <laughs> I do have a few questions I want to ask. More, uh, actually, what Mark was saying, I want to kind of make an observation on it. I think a lot of players, especially the higher up you get on that competitive ladder, top-level players especially, they like to take the first turn, maybe even two turns, and kind of stage themselves, set themselves up, take their time, slow the pace of the game down. A lot of the times you'll hear top players, top players play probably on this podcast, and they'll talk about how their game is planned out for five turns and the back half is where they'll score a lot of these points or their strategies will kind of come to fruition. Turn one is all about setting up. Mark doesn't allow you that opportunity, which I think is really cool. And that really, along with making uncomfortable choices like dealing with behind the ones, I think goes a really long way to making this style successful. Um, but to piggyback of that with an actual question, uh, do you find with this style of like all in aggro, you said you, you leave your own home objectives and stuff. How, how is that actually a good play? Like, you're, you're literally forfeiting free points on your backfield objectives to just throw 10 orc boys at the field or something, or why not take rots for that specific reason? Um, what everything was kind of fitting together, I was trying in my original builds, I was kind of had the element in there, right? But it was, it was always felt like it was clunky. Like I'm always felt on my, I have 50 points. Okay. I bought this little unit to sit in the back, everything, how it fit together. I just practically had like 50 extra points. I'm like, I didn't like this. And I had a little bit of guns in the earlier overdraft versions. And I decided to just, and I looked at the games and I'm like, honestly, my primary scores in those first like five practice games, I realized that my primary scores would have been all the exact same, even if I did not control one of my objectives in my deployment zone. Like you were scoring 45s either way. I was scoring 45s, 40s, no problems in those first three turns of the games or scoring points and so forth. Because I was out in the, no man's zone. I was holding those, you know, those, I was denying my opponent's primary points. And I realized if I don't go in hundred percent, he can find that one little hole and just beat me. Right. What happens if my opponent goes, take my objectives. If they go take my objectives, if they want to score points and hold it there, they're turned behind me. Right. They're not getting it. If they deep strike, they go over onto it. Uh, that's cool. They're going to be a turn behind because I'm taking them off of mine, off of theirs. Why I'm taking the midfield. So, yes, it may get them a five or, you know, 10 maybe, but more often than not, like that unit then has to stay over there, hold those objectives, and that's turn two, turn three. And that's already when the crucial moments in my game plan has already gone to effect and it doesn't matter as much. I've already got that momentum really going and they can get those points, but I can look at there and say, I can calculate it like turn three, turn two. How many points I can get max currently and how many points you can max because you've already lost your early game advantage uh, and I've just choked you out in the first two to three turns of the game. So it's a lot easier to math when you're halfway for the game already at that point. So it sounds like, sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, no, I was just going to ask uh, if going first or second makes any difference to that strategy and that play. You're talking about people deep striking in. If, if you're getting second turn and someone's able to deep strike, uh, you know, they're before you, and they've got that kind of, they're just kind of getting in there slightly earlier is what I'm asking, I guess. And uh, does that make any difference to your play? Um, If they get, if they go down, down there, turn two, the thing is when I can feel that happening, I have that one 10-man B-snaggable unit that strings out, 
and say, hey, if you want to come after this objective, turn two. That's fine. That unit is at the halfway point. Why it's kind of turned into a uh, barbell in that formation where you put two guys on each flank and then you just spread the rest of the guys out. So it can kind of slingshot either way if I feel like it is going to be crucial. Uh, and if I get first turn, that's just going to be at least, you know, me pushing into you uh, two turns, two of my movement phases and four fight phases before you get to bring down your reserves. Um, and so at that point, the damage is probably already done. Um, now, you know, sometimes redeploys. I think one of the best examples, if you really want to see how I'm talking about this and works out to offset your opponent's tempo, is look at the New Orleans Open at the quarterfinals um, when I play against uh, Johnny uh, or Joni. And he is, um, I push into him. He eventually does fight me off, but you can see that kind of offset tempo where like, you know, he got to those points. It was a few point game, but I looked at the board at turn three and I'm like, I think I can't lose this game. And the best thing he can close is that like the gap was like two or three points. And you can calculate that and you can figure that out at that stage. And you also, it's a stat check. You're just asking your opponents like, okay, do you, or do you prioritize surviving over points? And sometimes people want to make sure that they're surviving because I'm killing all the rest of their main army. Um, I'm taking their objectives, turning them to mine. I'm occupying the mid zone. You can have one objective. I'm not going to choke you out from every single objective on the board. This, this is an interesting exercise here. And in, in someone like me versus someone like Nick in the way we're looking at what you're doing. And I'm really interested, Nick, in your, in your take here. As a <laughs> solidly mid-tier player, when I'm, when I'm looking at the strategy you've taken behind enemy lines, you're front lining, you're throwing everything up, you left big gaps behind. I've maybe got a couple of units in deep strike. Um, it's really put it's put me in an interesting dilemma here because I kind of need to protect myself as much as I can for the surge forward. At the same time, I can't help taking that bait that you've left this wide open patch and I can jump and get your objectives and uh, earn myself some points and maybe force you into the idea of turning around and coming back to get my squad of whatever I've dropped on there. So as a mid-tier player, I'm looking at that going, well, that's bait I can't afford to forget about. And at the same time, I'm kind of thinking also I have to, I always have to try and leave units on the, the backfield to protect my own objective. So I'm kind of spread maybe a bit thin with the, the army that I'm facing with you charging straight ahead. So I kind of look at that and, I'm still trying to play out of the Nick Nanavati coaching book of protecting my <laughs> backfield and screening and doing all the right things. But it, see, it feels like the way you're playing the game against me, I have to, I don't know, I have to do something different. And, it's, and that's the kind of thing you're forcing. Nick, Am I? if I look at Mark coming at me like that, am I looking at the table state wrong? Am I doing it wrong well, so with, I think with this way of thinking? There's two ways to approach playing against Mark's style, in my opinion. Um, option one is to just completely run away from it and let it do what it's doing to you. This is a, a relatively challenging thing to do, and not every army this can do this. But if you imagine arm, Mark's army is like a bowling ball, and your army is like bowling pins trying to spin around scoring points, he's trying to knock you all down. So if you can spread your bowling pins out around the table through deep striking and outflanking and really put a lot of your army in reserve, if you have mid-game mechanics to redeploy units like teleportation, or if you have just the ability to spread out really far with lots of small units like Drakari can potentially, then you can spread the bowling pins out, pick Mark's army apart, and maybe isolate it and fight it that way. That's an okay way to play against it uh, and try to preserve your army through spreading it out. Otherwise, you're just getting forced into violence with this man, and it's terrible. Then you just got to <laughs> fight your way out. <laughs> so yeah, in those situations, you have to recognize this is a, a brutality game, and it needs to end in the first three turns, so I can then go clean the table afterwards. So if that is the strategy and that's how the game is going to devolve based on how your two armies are lining up, the mission and all that, that's when you don't put stuff in reserve and don't fall for the mark bait and don't take that backfield because you're going to score five points on his primary to lose your entire backfield yourself on turn two or turn three and then give up 15 for the rest of the game. Yeah, it's really, it kind of, it splits your thinking. Like if you've, as you say, you've got this bowling ball kind of rolling towards you and not slowly, like this thing's coming at you fast. And what I want to do is I know that my army is better in turn two, three, four or three, four, five. So I want to make sure that I'm trying to position myself to jump in those turns, but it's already dead by turn four or five. So it's right. too late. Um, yeah. Mark, I had a question for you. It's really easy to look at your list 
and just think it's just trying to table me. It's just trying to run straight at me and punch me in close combat. And against, like, in, in earlier rounds of the tournaments, I'm, I'm sure that happens to you, where you just run your opponent over. Maybe they have a, a weaker list or something like that. But on the top-level list, whether you're fully capable of optimized points and efficiencies and whatnot, they're probably going to kill you over time. The game seems to come down more like a math equation where you're trying to outscore your opponent, mm -hmm. systematically dying over the course of five turns while writing your scoreboard and scoring your points. How do you actually track that scoreboard and come up with your strategy for that game for that? So one is it's you know a little different from game to game because I look at the matchup, I say what I seek is the scores that they could take and get the most max against me if they decide to play X or Y. And you know, I try to sit there and say, here's how many points I can get just passively just doing what I need to do. And then as I look and know that they're going to try to play the survival game like you will, um, I will sit there and look at their points and say, okay, I don't need to win by a lot. I just need to win by a hair. You're going to table me, but I'm going to make sure that I'll sacrifice not killing some of your stuff to just tank your score in certain places, right? I'll try to take away... Instead of prioritizing your early game units um, or your slower units, I'll go after your fast ones. Therefore, your late game plays are very, very limited. Uh, if you can limit your opponent's obsec and faster moving screens or just fast moving units, you can really kind of choke where they can go in two turns. You know, they're not getting off on these far objectives uh, to get their points. They are... They're just kind of stuck where they are. They have a turn or two for an advancing, and they're just not able to climb high enough. So most of the time, my plan is to probably get tabled and win. That is most of my games. If I make that break um, where I just kind of like steamroll you because I just ride the momentum and you couldn't stop me, the game plan of working with that same, that same style is still just denying you points while getting me points in those first two to three turns of the game. Um, and... For the most part, I'm trying to find those little one or two points that I can deny from my opponent. I want to come back to the list with a couple of questions, if I may. Uh, one is, um, you mentioned trying to get some guns in their previous iterations of the list had guns. So I'm wondering, over the period of time to get to the, this list, what you've dropped, what you've bought in and what you've dropped, what you thought about including in the list but just didn't quite make it in. Uh, specifically thinking guns, wondering if more troops would have been useful to you, that sort of stuff. So I did actually originally start off with less troops. At first, I wasn't really impressed by Beast Nagger Boys on paper. Playing them out, I'm like, they're really good in golfs, and I want more. <laughs> um, and that was a funny turnaround. But originally, it was kind of having solo mech guns or two mech guns or grot mega tanks. A decently high damage, high spike ability uh, damage platform at a mid-range or a little longer range that would threaten my opponent in the same way that my shooting would but could screen, hold my backfields, and so forth. Um, and at times, they really did work well. And other ones, I felt like they just didn't quite add enough. Because like I was trying to, when the list was first kind of coming to fruition, it was trying to figure out the Great Night matchup. Because I played a lot of free Buddhas. I had some very... Like, I went into, like, free tournaments, and my only losses was actually against Great Knights. And I'm just like... And I don't think I can solve this problem right off the bat. Like, I don't think Freebooters has the tools, uh, just how they naturally do. I need to offset and make sure that Grey Knights, I can just eliminate their models as fast as possible and mess up their tempo and how they want to play the game as a control army. And so I added that, and then I wanted to add the guns as for balance. And then as I played it more, I realized, like, the guns really didn't add the balance in that matchup in the first place because, like, Dragon's got a four up. If I'm hitting on fours, winning on threes, and they're getting four ups, like, eh, I'm not consistent enough. Versus where if I added more melee elements with those about 300 points of kind of, you know, screens and uh, shooting guns, um, I could just add more pressure. And then I can confirm going in because the situation would protect one unit. Uh, you know, I'm charging with two units. You can kill one in the gun phase. The second one's going to connect during my turn. Um, and kind of going with, you know, I'm okay with casualties. I'm going to take it. I'm not going to worry about trying to do hardcore screening. Yes, there is screening involved, but it's screening you out from the choke points that you want to be in. I'm not going to screen out every single part of the board because, like, I'm okay with you being over there. You're just way out of position. You're not in the fight. You need to be in the fight now, otherwise I'm going to win this game. I have a follow-up question about your golf list and how it's evolved over time. 
I know at New Orleans, where you, you play second against John Lennon, you had a lot of goths in that army, and you used them in spectacular fashion to just flame Sean's uh, Dark Reapers off the board. You're not, you're not goths, you're talking about Megan Oms. Oh, maybe I'm thinking, I'm thinking Commandos. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, Commandos. Commandos. Okay, okay Commandos. <laughs> I was like, they don't even have switch. Goths is the player. Yeah, you're, you're Commandos. Um, you had a lot of Commandos, and now you have no Commandos. What's that about? So, originally, I had two units of eight Commandos. Um, and I dropped those because, like, they're just kind of more infantries. Dropping them dropped also my you no know, prisoners count from 11 to a 9. Uh, so that was a nice add-on. But it was the meta, how it has changed. We having less more forces to hive minds list, more crusher stampede. Um custodes coming in the game. Commandos just do not do much into crusher stampede, nor into custodes. They're just more basic boys that are strength five, and I need to be higher than strength five for the custom matchup to matter as much, and also the T seven coming from the guys. Yes, I'll get plus one the wound from you know positioning myself well from cover. Maybe I need a screen out, but honestly, I just didn't need to screen out as much because uh, of into the custom matchup. I'm not screening much there. Uh, maybe I can do some decent screening for Crusher Stampede, but. I can position units better in my deployments on the limit where they can go in the first place. Um, I just found that they were not consistent enough. I wanted to change that for more units that actually did damage in those matchups. Therefore, I didn't just hit a wall, and I didn't have a tool for those matchups. I wanted a tool. They were not the right tool for the place. <laughs> the um, the CPs you mentioned that you've kind of changed your list around to fit in more CPs, which I, I guess means that there are lots of stratagems that you need to use. So what are you hitting, and are there are there a couple that you're using every turn all game, or, the, or are there situational stratagems that you're going to bring out when you need them, or maybe a combo of both? I forgot one very important random guy that was last edition into this list, and it helps out with some of the questions. Guys, for everyone that's here listening now, there's a bonus Death Dread. Just image if there's a Death Dread with four melee weapons in this list. He was the <laughs> last minute add-on as we were doing all the testing. His name is Jack the Attack. Uh, oops. <laughs> He's totally in the army. Um, but for that goes with this. That reminded me of this, of the Dread. But the CP was, I originally kind of started off at five or four. Um, and that would, if I start off at five, I would go to six. I would give me a fight on death and interrupt, maybe a three D six charge, maybe another fight on death. You know, that would give me all those tools. Uh, getting the extra two CP, oh, uh, that's five goes to six during my first turn. Or now I go from seven to eight. That gives me a lot more tools to play with uh, in those first turns because, like, into those crusher stampede, into that uh, custodes. Uh, generally, I never pop the free damage on the Mega Knobs unless it's super crucial because there's a plus one damage strat for them for two CP. And when I have five Mega Knobs coming, they may need that strat. Um, the meta right now currently calls more for that strat to happen. And in that case, I don't need them. That's more interrupts. That's more fight on deaths. And um, so I'm kind of going with that idea is like my two CP strategy swings were just super more important uh, for those those just those power plays. And I wanted that over, uh, say, that extra Truck Boy War Boss. So that's where Truck Boy War Boss dropped, and he turned into a goth War Boss on bike. Right. And the Death Dread uh, is just uh, just another big, beastie, choppy, tough. Yep. That guy's adorable. He's adorable. <laughs> he's coming at you. Um, he's just got four claws, and he's just coming at strength 10 minus three free damage. He's just trying to give you a Seven hug. attacks, exploding sixes. He moves nine with the pistons plus one advance. You can pop a three to six charge on him. Um, he's just a hundred points of I'm like I'm going to hug and fight something and kill it. Um, yeah. I got ramshackle, so I got some decent defense, and um, he just adds that flexibility, that some extra higher strength and higher damage stuff into these more high wound cap models uh, that's in the meta currently. <laughs> you got so I've much noticed... aggressive cuddling in this list. Yes, <laughs> so much cuddling. A lot of aggressive cuddling. <laughs> That's the best kind. Um, <laughs> I noticed your list has like pretty much no shooting. Kill rigs can kind of pretend they shoot, and scorches are great for clearing screens. But really, like no anti-tank shooting aside from the the kill rigs, and and not much in the way of heavy stuff clearing. Is that been a problem at all, or just punch it? I just punch it, man. Just like you gotta punch it, you gotta occupy that spot that they were in. Offset my opponent's tempo. If I can't kill something because it's too tough, I probably don't need to kill it. Prey on the weaker things. If it overwhelms the big scarier things, when you can. 
collapse on it with three or four units. You're not winning a 1v1 fight against a super hard, like, you're not winning a 1v1 fight against three Talos. You're winning a 3v1 in that fight. Um, because of those type of talities. Like, I'm just like, I'm just going to overwhelm you in those spots. But first, I'm going to take away all your ability to play the scoring game. Speaking of multiple combats, your army is relatively fragile. It's just like it works. They're not that tough. So your whole army charges on turn one and turn two, and then you have like 20 units in close combat. Aren't you incredibly vulnerable to things like fight last from your opponent's side or interrupt stratagems and things like that? So I have to be careful of the fight, of the fight last. You know, be aware of that. Avoid those combats at all. If, they, if they're going to put fight last on me, it's probably going to be combat, but I wasn't going to be swinging first in the first place. Uh, so, again, take away their ability to play the mission. Take away their screens. Take away their scoring objectives. Potential with their, with their trash units are their just scoring units. And just avoid the fight last over there with crucial things. Collapse all the rest of their stuff. They can win some combats because they're occupied doing that against maybe some boys or some hogs, maybe even some mechanobs. Now, interrupts, um, that's why I either interrupt with one unit or I charge with one unit. You can amp. You can interrupt. That's fine. I only have one unit, so it's not like you're getting in between me and you. So you're not doing that. Or I'm engaging with like four, three plus units. I'm never engaging you on a two, two units at a time because that opens up plays for an interrupt to be really bad. You never, you never do that. You never get to make it where they're interrupt. They can pop it off, but it doesn't matter because you're winning four of combats. Yeah. Um, and so forth. That's also another reason I like the Mega Nubs, is they can kind of charge pseudo-punchy units with two different directions, and they got T5 at two up armor saving free wounds. They can survive a casual interrupt, versus like a lot of people like the knobs truck boy units with like claws or big choppas. Yes, they're about the same point. They got a lot more attacks, but those units are only T5 out of four up armor save and two wounds. They're a lot more prone to random interrupts. I got one more for you. Right. You really hate the uh, knob on Squigasaur. Like, <laughs> I, I, not the knob on the war boss on Squigasaur. That, a lot of people really like this guy. He's, he's got badass stats. He's got great rules. He can make him super tough. But I know you've tried him multiple times, and you just hate him. So why? why? So um, it's a personal vendetta. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the dinosaur or the war boss on top of it. Um, so I played out with when the codex first dropped. He was very much on the hype train. He's considered like one of the best units of Codex. He lost me multiple games. It really mattered. He just failed to kill settings that he should have killed so many times. Um, so this is like me and Hiveguard. Possibly, yes. <laughs> and I just couldn't do it. You know, there's there's a game where I played against John at Charity Hammer in the tournament. How did I lose that game? By like three points or something like that. But there's two s- jump sisters that come over and straight up deny me 15 points of the turn. In the bot in the last turn and a half, they survived. They came, piled onto this objective, denied me that primary. He charged them. He failed to kill them. They fell back. Um, <laughs> I enter. I I tried to do. I I failed to kill them again on the I believe heroic intervention, <laughs> and uh, I did not give him more points. <laughs> and I also proceeded to give him primary points. Uh, so so many things just happened. Snowball out of control. Some other games where he just he didn't kill the things he needed to do. He was his AP two really hurt me, uh, and low strength in comparison to a regular beast boss that has that claw that's AP three and strength ten to eleven. Um, I just decided that I'm like, nah, I'm just gonna take a cheaper war boss at fifty points less, and has better strength and AP with practically similar amount of attacks. And also, I've never rolled a single six on the. Uh, on the dinosaurs attack. <laughs> so I have never inflicted a mortal wound without a rule. I have not been able to. It's like 10 games in practice. I tried him out also like a couple weeks back, like a couple weeks for LVO stuff. And I'm like, nope, he's nope, nope. It's just me. <laughs> I'm sorry, bud, but we can't work. <laughs> I love what I love is that even top players have that thing of uh, personal units that they either really like or really don't like, and they make it into or out of a list on that basis. Because that's what I do when I'm running a list. Sometimes I'll include a unit and people will say, why is that in there? I just really like it. Or why do you not have such and such? Because he's never goddamn done anything for me and I hate him and he's out. So it's nice to know that that even top players are making decisions on that basis. At the end of the day, you're the one who's got to play the army. It's got to work for you in the moment. You know, if, if it's not yeah. working for Mark, then don't don't mess with it. Yep. Just, if you ask me why, this is, this is why. <laughs> it's nothing against you and what your war boss can do. Mine don't do nothing. <laughs> uh, 
I have a very similar thing with Hiveguard. Everyone else is Hiveguard. Do people spam in Hiveguard? I wish I knew that you can't kill a shield drone. Because there's years prior where me and you went to a tournament, I was worried about your Hiveguard so much in that list, and I knew your Hiveguard just could not work. I would have been so much more confident if we paired into each other. Uh, the other thing I was going to, uh, there's two things I want to touch on real quick, which we already kind of have talked through, but I just wanted to uh, mention briefly before we close this out. One is that that lack of guns is, is interesting right now for uh, someone, uh, like I'm going through a situation where, you know, you can see how the meta is going to be changing. I've had a couple of redemptors in my list, which I know are already not great, but I've had so much success with the way I've been using them, but I can't keep them in the list after they go up by points and people are coming out with the rail guns that can just go... They're, they're gone. So, so now I've what I'm, and I, and I know I'm not alone in this. People with combat armies trying to squeeze guns in there somehow because we're told that we should. We have to have something to clear those screens before we can charge. All of that stuff. So, seeing a list like yours where you've just gone, you know what? Screw it. If there's a screen in front of me, I'll charge that and I'll kill that, and then I'll charge the thing behind it and I'll kill that. You know, you've you've just gone all in on the combat. Which, uh, I guess, what I want to ask is. Is this a viable way of list building or looking at it for other combat-heavy armies? Are you able to say maybe people should try just throwing away those guns and not worrying about it as much? Um, I would say that if you do not have the ability to add the guns and without going way out of your way, don't worry about them. Think about the body blocking and the move blocking when you charge and kill those small screens. You're making it harder for your opponent's screen because you have models there now. Uh, prioritize model placement first and foremost with your charges. Uh, use your models, your opponent's models against them. How they place them, where they screen them out. Instead of shooting them, think about how you can punish them in the movement phase and the charge phase uh, for placing those models too far out. It's versus like, you know, maybe you don't have to kill them. Maybe you just need to body block them in. Um, and if you do have a way to add in a little bit of guns that does not offset your tempo, does not create in crazy investments, it's worth it generally. Uh, the actual small element of guns in my army is all the Mega Knobs have Scorches. And the, they're combi Scorches, uh, so they have a little bolter spot on them, which is sometimes handy. But the Scorches profile is in this Assault Range, or it's Assault D6, Range 12, auto-hitting, uh, Strength 5, AP 1. It's just a flamer. It's just a heavy flamer with an Assault profile. So whenever I'm up there with nine Mega Knobs in your doorstep turn one, that have a front range of 38 inch range, inches at max, I'm also going to hit you with 9d6 strength 5 AP1 auto-hitting attacks to soften up little small things, to just kind of like plinkle away. And guess what? That unit's already moving up and doing that position, so now it's multitasking. You don't just add the gun into your army. You want to make sure that the unit can do what it's going to do while adding a small roll to top of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing is, for people with a list like yours, they're looking at maybe going all in on the combat. Uh, the way you're talking about it, it's not just yeeting it up the table and going, here it all is. You're really, you've said this several times, you're really conscious of movement, of making sure of the of what you're charging and what order you're charging things in. You've really got to, I guess, play a bunch of games and get used to the way it works with with just being careful which charges to avoid and which charges to prioritize and that sort of thing. Yep. A lot of people think that if you're, no, if they're going all melee into it, you really just, the goal is to run over your opponent. It's really not. And most like historical to like real war combat. If you're the aggressor and you're attacking a fortified position, you want to outnumber them two to one. So in 40k, it's kind of hard to do that. Um, so the trick is to offset their tempo. You're winning a smart. You're, you're stalling out for time, right? You're you're playing the game of like they're not getting points. They're not meeting their objectives. Uh, if you're running them over, they just didn't have the right tools and they just caught them off guard. That happens. The main part of it is you catch your opponent and make them have to do things they don't want to do, and you offset their control. Um, and just have just go out, have fun, smack around, fight, <laughs> and um, you score your points and just play the game from there. Yeah, score your points. That's actually again going back to the Nick Nunavati coaching book. Don't worry about it. just it, go and forget. Score the points. It's not all about killing the other guys' units. It's about getting those primary and secondary points. Um. Uh, Nick, I'm I'm done for questions in part one, and I, I feel like we've just been kind of dancing around matchups anyway, so I really want to get on with part two of this. Are you good to go? There's one more question I want to ask before we, we sign on up to part two. Uh -oh. Mark, chapter approved. It, it just happened, basically. So 
what direction are you thinking of taking your X with new points and missions and all that stuff? So if we can give some hope for the future. So new points are hilariously all right, my list went up by the killer rigs going up by twenty points each, but at the same time Megan Oz went down by five points a model. So I somehow got five bonus points out of the same exact same list. But the new missions already fit this playstyle so much. The Nick control, okay? You, you know he likes to play in the corner. You know he wants to secure his home field objective and keep distance away from your opponent. Control builds in the new missions is very hard. All the Dawn of War ones do not have any objectives in the quarters. In the center of the table quarters are in the corners. They're all like right in front of you and your opponent in the middle of the field. Um, so my style of Orc Trials back for that Goth build is going to come in. That disruption is going to be so much stronger. Definitely when you consider that there's mission secondary or the mission like primary New uh, scoring, some of them are like getting bonus points here and there. You can only get your command points if you hold objectives in no man zone. And the only way you can get your command points, I can choke people out of their command points bit. So I think going for this style of work is going to be very, very strong into the new missions. I am excited, but at the same time, uh, Codex Lethal, the Tau Codex is here, and it also scares me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything like the reaction. Like, I know Facebook goes crazy at the drop of a hat, but I don't think I've seen anything quite like the reaction when that railgun profile first came out and oh, yeah. Facebook it was our just most went. commented on posts by like times four. It wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I look at that, I'm like, I'm charging in. I'm like, wait, they're practically all armed with shotguns. <laughs> oh, that's not <really> good. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's just seeing seeing things as Facebook does. They see things in a vacuum and then they just go bonkers and crazy and comment on it like it's the end of the world. But we'll, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, so with that done, this is the end of part one, folks. Uh, and you only get to go to part two if you're a subscriber. So really, you want to get to the juicy good stuff, please go to theartofall40k.com and sign up to be a subscriber so you can get part two of this episode and part two of all of the other episodes, including Unbroken, including The Art of War Down Under. Uh, also at theartofwar40k.com, you'll find all the details on how you can be part of the war room and, and how you can get coaching and all of that other good stuff. Uh, if you're excited about the LVO and the march toward the LVO, there's so much great content on there around that as well. Uh, we are going to see you subscribers in part two of this episode, and we'll also see the people who are about to go to the website and sign up and become subscribers because that's exciting too. Uh, in the meantime, um, for those who are checking out now, Mark, good luck at LVO. I uh, hope it goes well, and I know there are Orc players all over the world cheering you on. Go. <laughs> They'll just be doing silent wow all the way around the world. Uh, Nick, thanks, man. Mark, we'll see you guys in part two. In the meantime, this is The Art of War. Bye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com